I have the pleasure of introducing Martha this morning, Martha Lair. Martha grew up at Barron Valley as it began when she was 10 years old, so about 25 years ago, right? <laughs> Martha, I debated on whether or not to say this, Martha is OG. And if you're anything over 40, 35 years old, you have to Google that right now. She is the original gangster is what it stands oh. for. <laughs> no, it just really means that she's original. She's been here for a long time. Uh, she was here when Bear Valley began. Her mother, Helen, and also Lisa and Karen are her sisters back here. Their mother was one of the first directors of the women's program here at Bear Valley. Martha is a graduate of Harding with a degree in social work. She's taught children's and women's Bible classes for more than 45 years. She's a teacher for Ladies' Days, for Come Fill Your Cup, Women's Retreats, and Higher Ground Camp for Teen Girls. She has a son, a daughter, and four granddaughters. Martha teaches the Evangelistic Women class at, uh, in the women's program here at Bear Valley. And the reason she does that is because she is one, and she is a very effective one. Martha is one of those that is always behind the scenes. She's in the kitchen a lot. She's in the kitchen every morning this weekend preparing breakfast. She is uh, always one who is working at places like banquets. She's down here digging brush out of the flower beds, I guess we call them, but there's no flowers in them. She's cleaning up, but she's a behind-the-scenes servant. And this morning, I'm excited for all of you to hear her because I have never sat, I told her this yesterday, I have never sat at her feet when I did not have somewhat of an aha moment where she pulls it all together and it just makes sense what she has to say because she is a student of the Word. And so I'm excited for all, all of us to benefit from her teaching this morning. Well, since the person that Carla introduced isn't here, uh, you get me. <laughs> I was told to turn this on, put it in my pocket, of which I have none, and uh, so that you guys can hear me. And we'll start off with glasses, but I feel sure they'll come off. So... Have you ever considered Paul must have been tired? Think about it. A church with which he had worked for over a year and a half was having major problems. Paul had gone to the city of Corinth by himself from Athens, and while he was there, he, he made his living as a tent maker, along with Aquila and Priscilla. And he did this so that he wouldn't be a financial burden on the church in Corinth. The Jews in Corinth, however, would turn on him, and Luke tells us that they would beat him, and so Paul had to leave the city. Paul reminded the church in Corinth of the difficulties he had faced while in Corinth when he said in the, first, in the second chapter in verse 3, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And now the church that he had put so much effort into was in trouble. A few years after Paul left Corinth, while he was in Ephesus, he would write his first letter to them regarding serious church and personal issues. In that letter, he dealt with problem after problem, concern after concern. He tackled... In his letter, he addressed the seriousness of division in the church, 
and that wisdom and sectarian strife aren't compatible. He tackled the issue of immorality in the church. He addressed lawsuits between one brother and another. He pleaded with them that they heed the demands of Christ for integrity and implored them to avoid sin. And not only did, had Paul addressed those issues, he also answered questions that the church had sent him in chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 12, and chapter 16. Questions about marriage, idol worship, spiritual gifts, and the resurrection from the dead. After writing his first letter to the church in Corinth, he would write a second letter to them. And in that letter, he reminds them that what he, as an apostle, had gone through. He told them that five times he'd been beaten with 39 lashes by the Jews. Three times uh, he was beaten with rods. He was stoned once. He was shipwrecked. He'd spend a night and a day in the sea. He'd been on frequent journeys. He'd been in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from his own countrymen. He was in danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger on the sea, and danger among false brethren. Paul stated that he had been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger, and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And in addition, he reminded them that of the pressure that he was under for his concern for all the church churches. The Greek word translated here for concern is the same one that's translated as anxiety elsewhere in the New Testament. And it simply emphasizes the pressure that Paul was under. We know that he constantly prayed for the churches with whom he'd had contact with. Churches in Rome, churches in Ephesus, churches in Colossae, churches in Philippi, churches in Thessalonica. And we know that because he told them so. So I don't think it would be a wild guess to say Paul must have been tired. In these times of concern, what kept Paul's spirits up? How did he continue in spite of his fatigue? Why didn't he give up? Why didn't he say enough was enough? Why didn't he burn out? Ever consider that? Because we do those things. We get tired. We get burnt out. We get exhausted. So how did Paul keep himself going? Well, he gives us some ideas of what he did. We know, for instance, that a major reason he was able to continue was due to his commitment in Christ. He explains that in Galatians 2 and verse 20. He reminded the elders from Ephesus that another reason for continuing was his commitment to preach the gospel regardless of the circumstances. And certainly a third reason for continuing the work was the trust that he placed in the Lord, according to Philippians, the fourth chapter. Paul's faith in God 
His trust in the Lord, his determination to always follow Christ certainly made it possible to continue. And these were things that Paul determined within himself to do. He could do his commitment, his trust, his dedication to God by himself. But there's another thing that he tells us helped him during this time. And I think that if we would practice it ourselves, it would help us as well. It's found in a short reference. In the 16th chapter, in which Paul said, in verse 17, I rejoice in the coming of Stephanos, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, because they have supplied what was lacking on your part, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore acknowledge such men. This passage gives us a glimpse of what sustained Paul during his work and the stresses of his life. It's a short phrase. It's easy to overlook, but I believe that it's worthy of our study because if we put it into practice, it'll help us as well. Paul was glad that these three men came to see him because he said, they have refreshed my spirit. When I first thought of refreshing, I immediately thought of a cool drink on a long hike. Or a tall glass of lemonade, that's not tall, but if it were tall, a tall glass of lemonade on a hot summer's day. Or perhaps a cold wash rag on a sunburned face. Those are things we consider refreshing. We consider it refreshing when we get an unexpected pat on the back for some work we've done. Or some encouragement when it seems like we were down. And while these are examples of the English word refreshing, they don't, com- they don't explain the word that Paul used. When Paul says that they refreshed his spirit, he uses a Greek word on a pale. And what it means, it's generally translated to rest or to refresh. And it means to allow one to cause, to cease from movement or labor in order to recover and to collect strength. It means to cause or to permit someone to relief from toil. This rest doesn't mean to completely stop working. Oh, we will gain a permanent rest for sure, but that's not this rest. This is a rest that's brief and temporary, but it allows us to regain our strength so that we can continue during the work of the Lord. The Greek word onapeo is used 12 times in the New Testament, four times by Paul. And each time he uses the word, he's always referencing how people work with people. Consider. Paul commends the church in Corinth in his second letter to them because they refreshed Titus' spirit. It seems that Titus had gone to work with the church in Corinth after Paul had written his first letter. And he apparently was apprehensive of how they received it and what, 
what they were going to do in their reception of Titus. Well, Paul had been bragging about the church. And when Titus got there, he realized that what Paul had said about them was true. And their love refreshed Titus. In Paul's letter to Philemon, he talks to Philemon about how Philemon refreshed the souls or the spirits of the, the saints who worshipped in his house. Philemon's love for Christians was expressed in ways that refreshed their spirits. And the knowledge of Philemon's action had filled Paul with joy and comfort. And then Paul asks in verse 20 that Philemon refresh Paul's spirit in the way that Philemon would accept Onesimus. So if that's what these three men did, who were they? They were Stephanus, 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 Fortunatus, and Achaicus. But who were these men? And more specifically, what did they do? How did they refresh Paul? Well, obviously these men were known to the church in Corinth. And we know that because Paul doesn't tell the church in Corinth who these men are. They knew them. They didn't have to be introduced. But we don't know them. So let me tell you what we do know about them. Stephanos is mentioned three times in the New Testament, all within the first letter to the Corinthians. Paul baptized Stephanos' household according to chapter 1 and verse 6. And in chapter 16, we learn that his household were some of the first Christians in Achaia, which is the region in Greece around Corinth. We also know that the members of Stephanus' household were devoted to the ministry of the saints. And Paul further describes them as those who labored and worked for the Lord in chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. Fortunatus and Achaicus, on the other hand, are only mentioned once in the New Testament, only in this passage. Fortunatus names means something like lucky. We would say fortunate. And scholars know that it is a name that was typically given to slaves. Achaicus, on the other hand, is not what we would consider a proper name at all because it simply identifies the region that he came from. This was a man from Achaia. And again, scholars say it was a typical description of slaves to give them the name of the area that they came from. It's speculated that they may have been of Stephanus' household that Paul referenced earlier. Or they may have been slaves of Stephanus. We don't know. That's speculation. But those three men came from Corinth to spend time with Paul. So what specifically did they do to refresh Paul's spirit? Well, the short answer is, I have the foggiest idea. Because Paul doesn't say. 
But in spite of the fact that we don't know specifically what he did, what they did, I think there are some lessons that we can learn from them. The first lesson that we can learn is that refreshing spirits is intentional. Consider, it wasn't by accident or as an afterthought that they refreshed Paul's spirit. You see, these men had traveled from Corinth to Ephesus in order to teach uh, to reach Paul. If they traveled by sea, it was a journey of more than 250 miles. I asked John Moore in Bible geography class the other day how far it would be if they traveled by land, and John, looking at a map, said it would have been a long way. The journey that they took took several days, if not weeks, to make. It was a trip that required them to leave their homes, leave their families, leave their jobs. It was a trip that took money because travel in the New Testament times was neither cheap nor easy nor quick. But it was a, a journey that they deliberately made in order to see Paul. The journey was intentional. It's been suggested that these men took the letter that Paul references in chapter 7 to him from the church in Corinth. And that might be true. They may have been the mailman of the first century and delivered that letter to Paul. But Paul doesn't recognize them for delivering the mail. He refers he recognizes them for refreshing his spirits. Further, we know that refreshing spirits takes effort. For a time, these men lifted Paul's workload and gave him rest. It's not to imply that they took over his job and did his work for him. That was obviously something they couldn't do. But it does mean that for a while, their being with Paul gave him an opportunity to recharge his batteries, to recuperate, and continue his labor for God. Jesus spoke of the same idea in Matthew 11 and verse 28 when he said, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. The word translated here as rest is this same Greek word that Paul says was refreshed. Jesus isn't saying, if you come to me when you're tired and you're overburdened, I'll take all your work away from you and you won't have to work again. But Jesus is saying that if you come to me when you're tired and burdened, I'll give you the rest you need so that you can continue working for me. This kind, this, an example of this kind of rest is actually found in Exodus, the 17th chapter. Beginning in verse 18, there's an account of where Amalek came while the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness. Amalek came to fight the Israelites. Moses chose, or told, 
Joshua to choose men and go fight Amalek. And during the battle, Moses stood up on the hill. He held the staff of God in his hand. And as long as he could hold it upright, Israel prevailed. But when he got tired, and when he lowered his arm, Amalek started winning. Well, the Bible tells us that Moses' got hands got tired. And so two men, Aaron and Hur, had Moses sit down on a rock. They stood on either side of him, and they held his hands up until sundown when Israel won the battle. You see, Aaron and Hur provided Moses the rest, the refreshment he needed, in order to complete the tasks that God had given him. Well, similar to Aaron and Hur, these three men, Stephanos and Fortunatus and Achaicus, provided rest to Paul. While they were in, while Paul was in Ephesus, these men gave him time to refresh and to recover, because Paul had a lot of work that he still had to do. For a while, their presence and whatever specifically they did lifted Paul's load, relieved his burdens, provided him encouragement, and allowed him to rest so that he could continue. And that requires effort. The third thing we know is that refreshing spirits requires involvement with others. It's clear that these three men knew Paul and his work. They were involved with Paul. Certainly Stephanus, if not all three of them, had a personal relationship with him because of the time he spent in Corinth. And even before they arrived in Ephesus, they knew about his work, and they knew how to locate him. And although the first letter of the letter to the Corinth was written a few years after Paul had left him, uh, left the city, their knowledge of him allowed them to share their time and their concern and their love with Paul. You see, they didn't go to Paul to add to his burdens, to complain about what was happening in Corinth and to gripe about the people in the church. They went to, Corinth, uh, to Ephesus to refresh Paul. A look at other times in which Paul references refreshing others shows the involvement that they had as well. In 2 Corinthians, Paul rejoiced that Titus had been refreshed by the church. Titus loved the church in Corinth because of their obedience to Paul's instructions, and Paul was refreshed by his involvement with them. Philemon, on the other hand, had saints worshiping in his house. And his love for them and his interaction with them allowed him to refresh their souls as well. Paul asked that Philemon refresh Paul's spirit as he interacted and accepted Onesimus. You see, refreshing others requires us to be involved 
with each other. It requires an awareness of other people's burdens, others' workloads, others' concerns. It requires us seeing people not just in passing, but involved with each other's lives. You see, it's not just enough to say hi in the lobby as you're going home and ask, how are you doing, and hear the standard response, I'm doing great and feel like you've accomplished the purpose. That's not refreshing. It's also not involvement. We need to be involved with others' lives so we know what burdens they're carrying. To know when they're tired and exhausted and discouraged. It's the idea that Paul expressed to the Christians in Philippi that they do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count to others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but to the interest of others. To involve, be involved with people, we have to look at the interests of others. And this is what Stephanos, Fortunatus, and Nicaechus were doing. They were looking out for Paul's interests as a result of their awareness and involvement. They were able to lift Paul's burden and refresh his spirit because they knew him. They loved him. They knew of his work. And they knew that they could refresh his spirit. The relationships that we have as Christians are special and in some ways very unique. As part of the family of God, we should be able to share our concerns with each other and know of the labor and the work that we do for Christ. It's an interaction that allows us to, to share our successes and failures. And being in God, a member of God's family allows us to provide encouragement and rest to those whose work has worn them down. Clearly, Paul recognized how easy it is to get tired. He encouraged the, uh, the church in Galatia when he said, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who are in the household of faith. Why do you think Paul warned the Galatians, don't lose heart and don't grow weary? Do you think it's because it's possible to lose heart and grow weary in our work for God? Another thing that we learn from what they did is that refreshing spirits isn't limited to a few select or gifted people. It's an opportunity that Christians have in refreshing other Christians. Paul was refreshed by these three men from Corinth. And not only did they refresh Paul's spirit, but he also recognize that they refreshed the spirit of the church in Corinth as well. Perhaps Stephanos and Fortunatus and Achaicus 
understood what Paul needed because they were already workers and laborers themselves. And they understood what other workers and laborers were going through. These weren't apparently gifted men in this regard. They were just Christians, refreshing other Christians. And if you wonder how I can come to that conclusion, it's because when Paul recognized that the church in Corinth refreshed Titus, the church in Corinth wasn't a specially gifted church either. They were just people refreshing other people. So the question is, do we refresh other spirits? In a world that's increasingly isolated and critical, do we lift other people up? Do we provide them rest? Do we give them a break? Do we allow them to catch their breath so that they can work again? Are we aware of people in our congregation that are overwhelmed and discouraged and burnt out and exhausted? Do we make an effort to see what we can do to refresh them? For instance, for those of you with elders in your congregation, how do you interact with them? Do you only interact with them when you have complaints? When you have concerns that somebody ought to be doing something about some problem that you've identified? Or do you deal with your shepherds to relieve their burdens? To volunteer to do something when somebody needs to do it? Are you that somebody? Because we're all somebodies. Or what about Bible class teachers? How many of you know Bible class teachers that have taught for years, if not for decades, without a break? Have you asked if they could use a break? Just a rest? A time to get away, to refresh? Can we do that for other people? What about moms in our congregation? Do you think they could function better if we gave them a break for a change? And is that something that we can do? You could ask the same thing about people who are caring for elderly or sick in their homes. Can they use a break? Can we give them rest? Can we refresh their spirits? Are we reluctant to offer help because we don't know the people well enough to know what we can do? Are we reluctant to help because it requires time and effort and energy? Do we react with Christians enough to provide them rest? Paul told Titus in Titus 3.1 that as servants of God we should be ready for every good deed. Do we have our eyes open to know what those good deeds are? The question is not, 
can we provide rest to someone else? But the question is, who around us needs to be refreshed? And will we provide that for them? There's always been a need for us to know people around us. But certainly our experiences in, in the past year and a half have been emphasized that fact. 2020 was the year that we learned what it was like to be tired. It's been widely reported that the lockdowns due to the pandemic produced panic, uh, uh, acute panic, obsessive behaviors, hoarding, paranoia, depression, even post-traumatic stress disorder. And during uh, COVID-19, we got tired. We got tired of the isolation. We got tired of rules we didn't agree with. We got tired of wearing masks. We got tired of being anxious. Well, now that we're able to get back together again and to enjoy the fellowship that we have with each other, are we keeping our eyes open for those who have continued to be tired who continue to need their spirits lifted? Will we use this opportunity now that we're back together and not in isolation? Will we use it to be involved with the family of Christ and to become more aware of others? Will we make an effort to reach out to those who need rest? The best part of refreshing spirits is the relief that it provides to others. One author described it as depression giving way to cheerfulness, weariness giving way to vigor, sluggishness giving way to energy, despondency giving way to cheerfulness, doubt giving or doubt giving way to living confidently. Those things can be obtained in others and ourselves if we're willing to look around, if we're willing to be aware of where people are at, and to make the effort to reach out and intentionally provide rest to them. Refreshing spirits energizes Christians. It lifts our spirits. It increases our faith. If Paul were writing to us, would he look at me or would he look at you and say, she refreshed my spirit? Three men whom we know, <coughs> we know little about traveled from Corinth to Ephesus in order to spend time with Paul. And while they were there, they gave him needed rest. And Paul used it to continue working. As workers in God's kingdom, you and I have the same ability not to take over other people's work, but to refresh their spirits so that they can continue to work as well. 
And the question becomes, will we take the time, will we make the effort, will we be involved with others to do a work that all of us can do and refresh people's spirits? Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the lectureship. We thank you for this time together. I thank you for the women in this class and their patience with me. And Father, I pray that we would um, challenge ourselves to reach out, to be aware of others and others' needs, to refresh other spirits. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.